0: Welcome back to our weekly podcast. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a message series called Christian Fundamentals. In the sports world, the fundamentals are the building blocks of the game, they're the things that make a player and a team successful. For the game of baseball, the fundamentals are things like basic batting practice, fielding the ball, running the bases, and learning to throw the ball well. These are all things that help teams win games. If we're going to grow in our faith and be successful in our walk with Christ, we need to learn and practice the fundamentals as well. Now, when talking about Christian fundamentals, we typically talk about things like prayer, reading, studying, and applying God's word to our lives, being part of a Sunday school class or a growth group, or basic Christian doctrines. All of these things are really important. They're all Christian fundamentals. But for this series, We've been talking about some of the important aspects of our faith that often go overlooked. In week one, I preached a message on the importance of preserving and protecting unity in the church. We learned that unity is not something that we manufacture. Instead, it's something that we already have in Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to preserve and protect that which God has given In week two, I preached a message on what it means to walk in holiness, what it means to live a life that's set apart by God for his purposes. That's what that word holiness means. It means set apart or different. And then last week, one of our elders, Bruce Hanke, preached a sermon on the importance of mentoring others. Today, I'm going to continue our series by preaching from a passage in Philippians chapter 4. The Christian fundamental that we're going to learn more about today is contentment. The Bible clearly teaches that God wants us to be content. Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13 is just one passage that highlights this important truth, and it's going to serve as the main text for the message today. When we read this passage, there's one verse that will stand out because it's a verse that we've all heard many times. It's a verse that's been written on the walls of our homes, posted on social media a million times, and shared before major sporting events. The verse that I'm talking about is Philippians 4, verse 13, which says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is a favorite verse or a life verse for a lot of people and for good reason. The Apostle Paul's words here are very powerful. But for us to understand this verse, we must look at the context that surrounds it. It's important that we always look at the context before we jump straight to the content. Let's read the verses that surround this amazing verse. Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. How I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Several years ago, I heard an illustration from one of my mentors that has really changed the way I view life and ministry. The line that stood out to me that day was this, you can either be a thermometer or a thermostat. What did he mean when he said this? Well, he went on to explain how a thermometer doesn't change the temperature of the room around it. Instead, it just registers the temperature. It just adapts. A thermostat, on the other hand, changes the temperature around it. You set a thermostat so that you notice a difference in the room that you're in. The challenge to the congregation that day was to be a group of thermostats, to be an effective witness for Jesus as we change the temperature around us. Instead of having spiritual ups and downs all the time, inconsistencies from day to day. We're called to be consistent for Christ, staying the course and allowing God to use us to set the tone. When I read the apostle Paul's words, I believe that he was a thermostat. He didn't see himself as a victim of circumstances. Instead, he was a victor over circumstances because of Jesus. We get a clear example of this in verses like Philippians 4:13 when he said, "For I can do everything through Christ." Who gives me strength? The Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Philippians to Christians who were living in Philippi. Now, he wrote this letter, which is often called the letter of joy, while he was chained up in a Roman prison cell. He wrote this letter to encourage and strengthen other believers by showing them that true joy, true contentment, comes from Christ, not from our circumstances. So, with this in mind, Let's take a closer look at this passage. We'll start with verse 10. He said, How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. So sitting in a prison cell day and night, Paul was able to praise God, to worship God, and to find things that he could be thankful for. In this case, it was his friends in Philippi. Verse 11 says, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I'm going to be honest with you today. If I was in a similar situation, if I was chained up in a Roman jail cell, I don't know if I could respond like this. You know, I think I'd have a list of needs, like 3 meals a day, a hot shower and Netflix. But the Apostle Paul said not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Verse 12 says, "I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything." I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So Paul learned how to be content. And based on his story and other stories that we read throughout Scripture, it doesn't sound like contentment is something that we're born knowing how to have. And what I found in my own life is that discontentment is actually what comes natural. That contentment is not a natural thing for us, but discontentment is according to Paul, contentment is something that's learned. So the question is this, how do we learn contentment? How do we learn how to be content? Well, he gives us the answer in verse 13. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Yeah, I believe this verse contains the secret to learning contentment. Paul shares that the secret is rooted In knowing Jesus. Contentment can never be found in our worldly circumstances. It can't be found in human relationships or even in our possessions. Contentment is found in knowing Christ. Like Paul, I believe we too can learn how to be content. I've entitled today's message, The Art of Contentment. Friends, if ever there was an important Christian fundamental that often goes overlooked, I believe it's learning and practicing contentment in Christ. So before we talk about some of the ways that we can learn to be content, I want to talk about two things that will kill our contentment. Number one, chronic complaining will kill contentment. Chronic complaining will kill contentment. You know, if something is chronic, that means it's constantly recurring. If someone is a chronic complainer, that means they constantly complain. There are several different types of chronic complaining, but for the sake of time, I want to briefly share four of them with you. I want to encourage you to reflect on this list. See if you fit into any one of these categories. The first is what I'm going to call the whiner. The whiner wakes up most days ready to complain about something. In fact, if they weren't complaining... They wouldn't know what to do with themselves. Whining and complaining are like a safety net for this person, so that's the whiner. The second kind of chronic complainer is what I'm going to refer to as the martyr. The martyr often feels like no one appreciates them. They think, all I do is give, and nobody ever gives back. The martyr wants others to notice their sacrifice and to be recognized for it. The third kind of chronic complainer is What I'm going to call the cynic. Now, the cynic believes that nothing will ever change. Their situation will always stay the same. This person typically has a can't-do attitude. This person lives as a thermometer. Circumstances affect them. They don't positively affect other people. And then finally, you have the perfectionist. For the perfectionist, nothing is ever good enough. This person doesn't trust others to help, and they're never satisfied with the results. So these are four types of chronic complaining, all of which kill contentment in our lives. So what does the Bible say about chronic complaining? Well, it doesn't use those two words specifically, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Again, the Apostle Paul was writing from a Roman prison cell. Understand the context here. Sharing about how he's learned how to be content in any situation. You know, it's one thing to complain every once in a while. We all do that. We're human. We mess up. We fall short of God's glorious standard. It's another thing to be a chronic complainer. Complaining is a choice. And chronic complainers end up missing out on the promises, blessings, and plans of God in their lives. I'll give you a biblical example from the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses sent out 12 men, one person representing each tribe of Israel, and he sent them out to explore the land of Canaan. This is the promised land that God was giving to his people. Now, their mission was pretty specific. Their mission was to explore the land and then bring back samples of the crops that they found. After they explored the land for about 40 days, the men returned with a report. They confirmed that the land was, in fact, beautiful, that it had everything that they needed to survive and thrive. But there was a problem. The current occupants of the land were huge. They were large men, powerful people who had built towns that were protected on all sides. Even though God had promised this land to his people, we read that 10 of the 12 men were scared. They found something to complain about. In fact, their complaining was so loud that it affected the entire Israelite community. The Bible says people were weeping out loud, crying throughout the night, protesting the decision to move, and wishing that they had just died in Egypt. And several of them plotted to find a new leader. Of the 12 men, only Joshua and Caleb trusted God's leading in their lives. All the others complained. And in doing so, they missed out on God's promises, on his blessings and plans in their lives. The only two who were allowed to enter the promised land from this group were Joshua and Caleb. With the weather changing, a lot of people are catching colds and getting sick. I know in our household, we're just getting over having colds. I found that there are two things in life that are more contagious than being sick. The first is gratitude. You know, gratitude is the opposite of complaining. And a handful of grateful people can and will affect everyone else. The other thing that's more contagious than being sick, though, is complaining. A handful of complainers can and will affect everyone else. And chronic complaining will kill contentment. Number two, if you're taking notes, comparing will kill contentment. Comparing will kill contentment. When we start to compare our lives to others... Comparing kills contentment. Comparing jobs, comparing houses, trying to keep up with the Joneses, comparing spouses, uh, possessions, salaries, spiritual gifts. And even when we start to compare churches, that'll kill contentment. Comparing takes our focus off of Christ and puts it on temporal worldly things. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 says, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And that word understanding is best translated as wisdom. So when we compare our lives to others, it says we're without wisdom. It's talking about God's wisdom. So God's wisdom is not Comparing ourselves with others, but finding our identity in Christ. It's so easy to compare our lives with other people, especially in the social media age that we live in. When people post something on social media about their family, like vacations they take, the house they live in, restaurants they eat at, the clothes that they wear, what happens is we immediately start comparing our lives to theirs. We start the comparison game. Well, friends, when we compare our lives to others, we allow them to steal our joy. We have to remember that happiness or joy is first and foremost found in Christ, not in our circumstances. It's not found in having what others have. It's important that you and I don't allow others to steal our joy by feeding us a false identity. When we compare our lives to others and are envious of others, it'll steal our joy and it'll kill contentment. Plus, we all know that what people post on social media are only the things that they want others to see. Behind social media accounts are real people with real issues who really need Jesus, and that's all of us. So comparing will kill contentment. For the last half of the message, I want to talk about how we can learn to be content. Number one, if you're taking notes, choose contentment in Christ over contentment in the world. Now, if you have access to a bulletin, you'll notice that one of the two words underlined in this truth will always fail you, but the other will always fill you. Finding our contentment in the world, that's one of the words, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as Solomon wrote about, this will always fail us. But finding our contentment in Christ, that's the second word, that'll always fill us. Learning contentment always starts with choosing to focus on the right things. Now, I understand that the actions of other people, circumstances, might prompt or provoke you in a negative way. But in the end, contentment, your attitude, and your gratitude, that's always a choice. How we respond to other people or life circumstances is always a choice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong To Christ Jesus. Choosing to give thanks and to find contentment in Christ is not a worldly self-help book. It's meant to be the daily attitude and response of the believer. No matter what's going on in your life this season, there are always things that you can be thankful for. We can always choose contentment in Christ over contentment in the world. The second thing is believe that I already have everything I need to be content. This doesn't mean that God never wants you to have new things. It just means that God wants you to learn how to be content with what you already have. 1 Timothy chapter 16, verse 17 says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Our contentment should never be in the material things that we have. Instead, it should be in the one who gives us every good and perfect gift. Now, Paul is also not telling us that we should all be poor. That's not what he's saying here. He's reminding us that whatever our situation, rich or poor, our contentment and joy should ultimately be found in Jesus, not in the things that we own. Even while living in a Roman prison cell, Paul had everything that he needed to be content. What does this teach us? It teaches us that the only thing that anyone really needs to be content is a sincere faith in Jesus. So believe that I already have everything I need to be content. Number three, believe that everything I have is temporary. I added a little bit extra to the end of this truth, and that is except for Christ. So believe that everything I have is temporary except for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small. And they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul is talking about something that's learned over time. Most of the things in this life are jobs, possessions, illness, negative relationships, positive relationships. All these things are temporary. One pastor said, you'll never see a U-Haul at a funeral. Friends, I don't know if there's ever been a more truthful statement. (laughs) We don't get to take our possessions with us when we die. Houses get old and they fall apart. Cars break down. Hobbies get old and they're forgotten. The Bible reminds us that even our bodies are daily wasting away. Our spirit lasts, but not the bodies that we currently occupy. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of the things that God's given us. We absolutely should. We should be good stewards. What I am saying is this, that in the end, These things don't last. That's why Paul encourages us to fix our eyes on the only thing that does last. That's a relationship with Jesus and the promise of eternity. God wants us to focus on Christ and to live our lives for him. I believe that God wants all believers to learn contentment, but it is learned over time. And for us to learn contentment, we have to first identify the things that kill contentment in our lives. Things like chronic complaining, This will kill contentment. It will cause us to miss out on the promises, blessings, and plans of God. Also, comparing our lives to others will kill contentment. Instead of comparing our lives, let's be thankful for what God has already done for us and what he's given us. There are also things that help us learn contentment, though. Learning contentment starts by choosing contentment in Christ over contentment in the world starts by having a sincere faith in Jesus. Second, we should believe the truth that we already have everything that we need in Christ to be content. God is the one who gives us every good and perfect gift. We can trust that he's given us everything that we need. Finally, we should believe the truth that everything that we have is temporary, except for Jesus. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, made fun of and imprisoned. But he said, compared to an eternity with Jesus, what we experience in this life is nothing. He said, I've learned how to be content. So the question that I have for you today is this. Are you learning to be content in Christ?